You're listening to the ESO Network, your station for all things geek. Hello. Please let me see your ticket stubs for the double-edged double bill. This week, Barbara Crampton travels beyond the gates of Jacob's wife. Adam Thomas and Thomas Mariani will come to the table to discuss the randomly selected yin and yang of a double feature. Then, both will have to pick a number between 1 and 10 in order to seal their fates for the next episode. One will have two good movies, the other two bad ones. Let the chaos begin. I am Adam Thomas, and do you like board games? (laughs) And uh, I am Thomas Mariani, and Adam, I've become a vampire. Did you notice? I guess you did, because you never pay attention to me anymore. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> that's true, right. But uh, we're not the only people here, Adam, because uh, we brought on a guest this evening uh, for this particular episode. Uh, she's a podcaster in her own right, and I've had some fun with her on some Dragon Con panels here. We have uh, Nicole Cadaver. Nicole, welcome to the show. Thank you guys for having me. I'm really excited to be here. Yeah, we're, we're very excited here to talk about uh, a specific actor or actress uh here uh for the show because every halloween we usually like to cover you know a franchise and also a particular like horror icon and in this case we decided to go with uh miss barbara crampton who is someone that uh, i feel kind of maybe gets underrated oh my god so underrated she's so absolutely fantastic but uh where did you first get exposure to miss crampton and was it Reanimator or something else? Because I feel like Reanimator is going to be a recurring thing for first time we saw this person. Absolutely, Reanimator. So what would really sort of like um, made you cling on to her from like Reanimator onward? What do you think like she has that some of these other Scream Queens don't quite have? To me, she was just a little easier to take seriously. She doesn't play for ditzy in in reanimator she felt a lot stronger and to me a little bit more realistic than a lot of the other females in that era and she's adorable and likable and she's actually a really good actress yeah i would say she's more versatile than a lot of those actresses you can see it from even just like from uh reanimator to from beyond the next Stuart gordon movie she participated in which yeah. we've talked about on the show very different characters entirely um but and i agree that i think what's interesting also with crampton is looking at her filmography she says as much that like she became in prominence with like in the mid 80s around like with reanimator and working with Stuart gordon so much and then in the 90s her role sort of dissipated in the way unfortunately a lot of uh actresses do where hollywood is just like oh you're 35 not gonna deal with mm-hmm. you anymore nope so she like went on to raise her kids for a bit and then Around like your next, she suddenly like decided to do not just more acting roles, but also she was became a producer and she's been working so steadily. Like from 2011 onward, she's been in like dozens of horror movies. It's astonishing the the work ethic she has. Oh yeah, I think she's got like three in the gate ready to come out very soon as well, two or three, which is wonderful. I mean, she's constantly working and she's fantastic. I think she's gotten significantly better as the time has gone on yes but uh, adam what about you was it reanimator the first one as well for you and uh what would you think really sticks out about miss crampton 
I mean, it was probably Reanimator. If it wasn't Reanimator, it was one of the three. It was either From Beyond or Castle Freak, but I want to say it was Reanimator for sure. Um, and obviously, you know, as a prepubescent boy, I just thought she was the most beautiful woman I've ever seen. Not to distract from anything else, but as a kid, that's all I cared about. But then as I got older and sort of went back and became a real huge fan of the genre as a whole, it's just she's like a breath of fresh air in comparison to a lot of the other scream queens we got around the time. She's always capable in every movie she has. She's never just the screaming and hysterics sort of loosely put wife character. She's always got her own arc to her character. She's always right in the trenches. She's typically kind of a badass. Like she's sort of in a class of her own. Yeah. She's never like useless, pretty filler. Right. You know, she always is able to flesh out a character in a way that a lot of other actresses in that era can or or didn't or couldn't or whatever. Right. I always look at it like, not to say I don't like her too, but you either get your Barbara Cramptons at the time or you get your Linnea Quigleys. And Barbara Crampton <laughs> was always like sort of the capable one where Lena Quigley yeah. was strictly for nudity, basically. She, she's adorable and you can oh, pick her awesome. up and put her in your pocket. But yeah, she's she's probably not going to um, flesh out a character in the way that Barbara Crampton will. She'll flesh it out in a different way. <laughs> true. Fairly true. But, <laughs> but but at least like Alenia Quigley and a lot of the actresses like that, they're always fun, especially like you see them at horror conventions and stuff. They're always like very lively and very personable. But like a Crampton, I agree, is far more of like an actual actress. And she always sort of seems to have a particular like aim for like whatever project it is or especially since she has a producing credit on so many of those movies she has a clear sense of like okay i love this audience so at the same time i know like what would work for them and what wouldn't so she definitely has more of like a mind about like how to actually sort of sell these things while at the same time really embracing that kind of a culture and also just based on like podcasts i've listened to her in and her social media presence she seems like a very nice person she really does you know, I was watching her recently. I I rewatched We Are Still Here, and in the beginning of that movie, she's amazing. I, I was watching this. I'm like, this woman. Uh, you know, I know she's been kind of relegated into horror movies. Not that they're any less valid than other movies, but you feel her grief, especially in the beginning of the movie. It is all over her face, her body, her, you know, everything. It's she's so good in that. Yeah, and she doesn't look down on even, like, some of the lower projects she's done. Like, this is a lady who's been in plenty of Full Moon movies, and she takes them as seriously okay. as, like, her like being in um, her debut, a Brian De Palma movie, Body Double. Like, she treats every project with the same kind of respect, even if sometimes that project doesn't maybe deserve that respect. Yeah. Yeah, but uh, we're talking about two specific ones tonight, because at the end of uh, every episode, we pick a couple movies at random based around the topic. Uh, to cover on the following episode. So last time we ended up with uh, my bad pick, which was Beyond the Gates, and Adam's good pick, which was Jacob's Wife, a very recent release. Uh, and so we'll start off though uh, with the other choice, Beyond the Gates. Hey, what if he's okay? What do you mean? I mean, not dead. It's been seven months. If he's out there, it's not our problem anymore. Welcome, curious viewers. We found this like weird, probably banned VCR game. It's like a, it's like a board game, you know, but you gotta watch it. Obtaining the four keys allows passage beyond the gates. 
Only there can your father's soul be saved. Did you just hear that? Where did you say you found this again? So uh, Beyond the Gates uh, came out December 9th, 2016 from uh, director, co-writer Jackson Stewart. And it's uh, basically a story about um, a couple of brothers uh, who are played by Graham Skipper and Chase Williamson, who are uh, trying to clear out their dad's old uh, video store that's full of old VHSs. And they come across VHS board games, where basically, along with playing a board game, you would also put a VHS in, and there would be some sort of host telling you, hey, do this, do that, whatever, in style of whatever uh, board game it was. And in this case, uh, they find one called Beyond the Gates, which has a very familiar host on the tape um, who uh, is talking, basically telling them to perform these like various different tasks for the board game. And eventually they realize that like, oh, the tape isn't really stopping. It's some sort of like magical or occultish tape that uh, will make them finish the game all the way to the end and might be the key to finding their father who had disappeared uh, previously, which is why they were cleaning out the video store and everything. So it's a lower budget movie. Came out in 2016. I decided to pick this mainly because I've been curious about it ever since I saw the poster. It feels definitely like a movie that knows its audience were just like, hey, you would have seen this in like a blockbuster and been interested to rent it, right? And uh, yeah, they, they roped you in with that poster. And much like a lot of those movies, um, the poster is not selling you how kind of dull and boring the movie is. <laughs> Yeah, and those guys are definitely brothers, right? Like, they are so similar in looks and everything else. Totally believable. Yes, and there's the bad brother, and, you know, he wears, like, slouchy clothes. And then there's the good brother that buttons his collar all the way up to his neck. One's got the army jacket, and the other one's got glasses. Yeah, (laughs) I see you're still dressing like you did when you were 12. Oh, God, I'm sick bird. Yeah. Despite how, like, cliche all those things are, they're the most character we get out of these guys, unfortunately. Because this is so yes. a movie that's, like, it's so low budget with that basic premise that's, like, okay, they, it's clearly going to, like, not emphasize as much on, like, big elaborate over-the-top special effects, which is fine. But, um, you know, if you do that, you have to have, what's the word, uh, compelling characters to get you mm, somewhat interested. Substance. Yeah, substance <laughs> of some sort. And this yeah. movie, at 82 minutes, still manages to drag so much ass. Oh. Like, so much. It's just endlessly stretching. The, the brothers are, are extremely two-dimensional. And then you've got your supporting characters, uh, Hank, the super-duper gross like friend who is awful and why would this guy who's seems pretty nice be friends with this guy who's a total date rapist and then there's the cop guy who is like two-dimensional cop guy we only know that he's in the movie so his head can at some point explode then the creepy storekeeper guy who is very odd (laughs) yeah the cop looks like one of the sklar brothers Um, (laughs) yes (laughs) yeah if you were casting for a cop why would you pick? I mean, I'm sure he's a very nice person. I don't want to disparage him, but like, really? Okay. And, and <laughs> you got to figure too. You also get the girlfriend character. Remember her? Uh, yeah, she's I, fine. Yeah, because <laughs> also, anytime something happens that you know they all need to work together, 
I'm going to bed. <laughs> like, you're like, I know. <laughs> I was like, I'm sorry. Like, this, I can't remember exactly what happened in the scene because I'm already forgetting the movie. But there's like this, all this drama. And she's, he's like, I don't want you to stay here. It's not safe for you. Blah. blah. And she's like, if, I'm, if you're staying here, I am. And I'm going to bed. <laughs> and I was like, okay, I'm sorry, what? So you're going to stand by his side in an ambient coma? Is that what's going to happen? What, why are you here? Look, it was prophetic that she took Ambien at the beginning because everyone kind of feels like they're on Ambien throughout this whole movie. Everyone feels like in a weird, yeah. like, coma state that's, like, not quite, <laughs> like, a lively human being. Because, like, that's so yeah. that's what's so frustrating. It's like, the first 20 minutes are so much of just like, oh, hey, let's establish everything. Hey, bro, what's up, bro? I don't like you, bro. I don't like you as much either, bro. Oh, hey, this is my girlfriend. Hi, hi. It feels like it drags so on until we get to the premise. And then even when we get to the premise of, like, this board game, basically, like, horror Jumanji, of this board game that, like, can fucking bring out the gates of hell or whatever. It's like, okay, that sounds fascinating. And the movie constantly is just like, oh, let's throw it away. Let's drag our way to these set pieces of just like, oh, we're going to throw the game away. Uh, We're going to go to bed. Uh, We're going to do this. It's just like, guys, finish the game. Like, you should have established this within the first... 15 minutes of the fucking movie and then we could just keep doing but the game. But what the fuck is the point of the game, right? Because they're like, okay, dad finished the game and now he's like some weird hell zombie thing and then they have to go in and get him. But what? what's the ultimate goal of playing this game? Dying? I I, I don't understand it. Pretty, pretty much. Yeah. And you think by the time they get to, oh, I don't know, the third key, that they would stop going, is this really happening? Like, it's, yes. This can't be real, is it? Whoa. Especially when the guy's head literally explodes onto them. You would yep. think that the, the the reality of the situation that they're in would hit them at that point. Yeah, and I think also there's the weird thing of, like, the you mentioned lacking the understanding of, like, what the game actually is. I think that even includes, like, with the uh, girlfriend character where, like, she's a player in the game, but then she ends up being one of the cards in there. Just like, oh, yeah. she, so just like, wait, so can it, can it, is everybody a card? No, because the other two guys aren't. So it's just like, what? What is going on? Like, if we don't understand, like, the a very basic tenet of the rules, like, in these other movies I'm talking about, like, Jumanji, it's very simple. Somebody rolls a die and something horrible happens. That's that's easy. Yeah, and but Jumanji very clearly, like, it, it established its boundaries and its reality really early, and that's why that movie works. And this movie never does that. It never says, like, this is what's at risk and this is what's to gain if you do this. It never does. It's just like, I don't know, here's some cool-looking skulls. Move them around, and there'll be some blood. <laughs> and it's a bummer, because like, I like the premise so much of just like one of these old VHS board games, which were a real thing. I had one. I'm probably older than you guys. Um, it, it wasn't exactly like the same as this, but it was a VCR game of Clue. And I wish that like my parents still had it, because it was the I coolest thing shit. ever. Did you? I had that. Do yep. like I still kind of confuse the movie Clue with the the game that I played because it was so awesome. It's such a niche thing. Like it's super fun. Like I get it. You know there is fans. It's for it's you know nostalgia baiting. It's just you get eighty whatever minutes that feels like it's two and a half hours for sure. Yes. And the most interesting thing is Barbara Crampton mean mugging into the camera. 
Yes. <laughs> yes. And she she looks gorgeous in this in oh, like black and white nice. with like the dark eye makeup and everything. She looks phenomenal. Um and she's great, but her whole kind of role is to be flat and like threatening and you can only do so much with that. I do like how she really replicates like the let's say limited acting of the people that would be in one of those VHS board games where she's like kind of, yeah. she, she has like a, a limited range as it were, but she like really milks that for all it's worth in a really fun way. And I think that would be a fun premise, especially in like the wake of a ring where it's like, Oh, Hey, we're going to do like a ancient mysterious, like found thing. of like, look, it's this old VHS board game. It has like a sinister implication to it. That's a fun premise for a movie but like we mentioned like this movie is so suffering from a low budget in a way where at every turn they have to be like we can't go full bore with the game another time because we've run out of money and we have to like stall until we get more money basically (laughs) which is just like if you're not going to put all your money into the fucking board game fun weird shit why even bother having multiple locations you could just set this at like the office at the vhs place and then in that house like that's all you needed (laughs) you really could have and then all the weird shit could have just happened there yeah it could have been something cool as where like characters from the other obscure you know they could have made up different horror movies that are in that video store and characters from those come alive or something like that come after them or anything they could have done anything it could have made sense you know yeah, it could have, that would have helped too. Instead of, you know, oh, let's go get the oh, dad went to this store. I know this store. Good evening. Oh, um, like good evening. Would you like me to touch you in a bad place? Like he's <laughs> exactly. so. What the fuck? Where did he come so, from? Sometimes they leave me alone with the bodies. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> he looked like he, he felt like Daniel Tosh doing a weird Vincent Price character. <laughs> That's just what I kept thinking the entire fucking time. She's this weird dude who has, like, no real bearing. Because anytime they go to him for any kind of information, she's just like, well, it looks like people can play the game, but they can't win the game. It's just like, I figured. He's an idiot. Because the one brother, hey, what's that? Well, that, well, that's my pet that I got. And then he just robs him and walks out. (laughs) (laughs) The guy's like of a squirrel in a tree. Stop. (laughs) Oh. I'm watching it and I'm like, wait, so is this the guy behind the whole thing? Because he's the one that gets the gate, gets people to play the game. And like that little after credit scene and everything He's like, yes, you should do like eighties games. You should play this. And I'm like, so is he supposed to be the mastermind in this? Or am I trying to find substance where there is no substance? I just was desperate to understand how he played into the whole thing. To schlep that game and wear an old Dracula costume. Like, that's the only thing I can think of. To be pale and creepy. I will say there was a couple things that I didn't hate about the movie. And they're mostly superficial things. The opening credits, rad. Mm-hmm. Like, yeah. the the VHS inside of the VCR, that was super cool. I loved the video store. Um, again, it was just like, here's the nostalgia. There you go. We know you're going to love this. Whatever. I also loved Mount Rush Monster. <laughs> the painting on the front of the yes. video store. Um, and I want to just call, I want to ask you guys how you felt about this. The hurt wrist thing. To me, that was a total Shining reference. But it was like, in The Shining, you know, Shelley Duvall was such a complex character. And this girl is not, but she's like trying to say how, oh, we got in an argument and he grabbed my wrist too hard, but he hasn't dr- touched a drop of alcohol since. And I was like, 
are they doing a, a, a Shining thing here? And this is a weird way to like nod at the Shining, but I don't know. What did you guys think of that moment? That is like part of my frustration with how limited these characters are. Where like the moment she even said like, oh, I hurt my wrist, I fell immediately establishes mm-hmm. okay something is going to come up with the graham skipper character who seems like the more well-to-do person who doesn't have like any of the the weird like slacker tendencies as you mentioned of like the chase williamson character so it's like okay we're gonna have like some big reveal about he's an awful piece of shit or he has like he's a more complex character than what he is and then she just unveils that and he's like walks in and says oh hi guys uh, i heard what you were talking about and it's like hey man i'm sorry that you you went through all that yeah i know Let's play the game. <laughs> you, I'm sorry that you went through uh, breaking your girlfriend's wrist. That must have been really hard for you. I know. It's, it's, it's so thin, even though it has like so much fascinating potential. And it's just like kind of yeah. brushed off to the side. It's so thin that I'm like, okay, this, this pisses me off as a woman. But I can't even entirely identify why. I'm like, we're totally giving him a pass on breaking her wrist. Which is, it's, it's not just like, I shook you. I mean, like... You know, we're just like, oh, well, it's because he drank and he doesn't drink anymore. So it's okay. I love him so much. And he apologized. And he yeah, she said, it. hey, he was mortified yeah. by that. So it's all good, apparently. Yeah. and it, But the whole thing was like, poor him. Like, yeah. oh, he was mortified. I'm like, well, you also had a broken wrist. So like, maybe you were mortified too. Yeah, your your wow. boyfriend or fiance or whatever drank too much and broke your wrist. Yeah. Uh, that's a yeah, big fucking gives, deal. Who gives a shit how upset he is about it? He like, was he was a... mortified. It was really hard for him. That uh, must have been a really hard yeah. thing for you to go through, breaking your girlfriend's wrist, you yeah. fucker. But even this yeah. thing that we're talking about is a more complex relationship than whatever the fuck is here. Because, like, these... Everyone here is just... It's so monotone. Everyone is going around talking the same blithering way. We're like, there were a lot of these movies around this time, like uh, this sort of like what I like to call the draft house pictures era of horror movies, where it's like before streaming films were in huge vogue, even before like a shutter was a big thing, you would have these movies that were made on a super low budget, but released by very indie distributors off to like VOD and stuff like that in like the mid 2010s. And so yeah, a movie like this, it's just like has the basic premise and it's like, oh, we can kind of feed off like some lingering 80s nostalgia. This could be like something of some sort. And I remember hearing about this movie around the time briefly when like the trailer came out and the posters like, oh, this seems kind of fascinating. And like a lot of those movies just really drifted into the ether for nothing. And like, unlike a lot of those movies I talked about earlier where it's like, oh, look, you have this fun VHS cover and the movie might not be great in, in between it. But at the same time, in with those older movies, like they were shot on film and there were, like, some practical effects that looked a lot better, as opposed to on digital in the middle of the daylight when most of this movie shot, it looks like fucking paint drying. And the few effects that yeah. are there look, like, amateurish even more so. Yeah, there's one part where he, like, stabs an arm with, like, the switchblade that he carries because he's a bad boy. And it's, like, so clearly just a rubber, like, party city arm. It's just, like bounces when it's just it's ridiculous or especially the one ghost they get who looks like if a fan of kiss like slept in their makeup and then woke up (laughs) yeah (laughs) when there's like so many of these huge stretches of nothing going on even like the few times we're like oh hey we changed the lighting up a bit and it's like a purplish pink hue or we have like a head explode or stuff like that it feels not at all interesting after I've been lulled into a sense of like almost sleeping. Like Adam, I think you mentioned you like fell asleep a couple times trying to watch it. Twice, bro. Like legitimately. I fell asleep 
And then I woke up. I'm like, oh, fuck, man. I got to rewind it, man. Oh, no. And it was about a half hour past of what I saw. So I rewound it, got to the point, woke up again after rewinding it. And another half hour had gone by. So I basically watched this whole movie twice. Kind of. Yeah, because it, it, it's boring. Like it, like you said, the monotone sort of cadence and that everyone everyone speaks, it looks horrible. Like the, camp, the cinematography is so low budget, poorly done. The lighting effects are, when they try to be fucking cool with it, it's just come across like party city decorations yeah like amateurish it, like, very yeah amateur-ish. really amateurish which is not necessarily a problem no. sometimes like if it works it works but this, this just literally feels like they took whatever little budget they had what was it like three hundred thousand or something like that yeah. took their three hundred thousand dollar budget went to spirit halloween store and then hired like their local theater buddies to be in the movie and then pay barbara crampton probably like 50 g's which you know again if it works, it works, but you got to have a sort of a plan of attack before you do these things. This movie arguably could be something cool if it had more polish. I'm not even talking about more budget, but if they really went in and sort of did a better outline of like, this is what we got to do. This is how we'll get there. This trim it up instead of so many scenes of bad boy brother, like with his head in his hands, rubbing his hair going, whew, what the? Whoo! Whoa! <laughs> You're like, what the fuck, dude? Like, we got it. You're perplexed. I yeah. understand. But we get it. Why are we watching him do this for 15 seconds every five minutes? You like, can make magic with very, very little absolutely. money if you've got, you know, heart and some talent and some creativity. You know, you okay, so you're maybe not going to be able to do all kinds of crazy effects. So change your game plan. You know, this could have been a really, really cool movie. Like you said, they could you, they could have brought more video game shit into it or video store stuff into it anything and they didn't they just didn't know where the hell they wanted to go with it and what they wanted it to be there's that thing of necessity is the mother of invention with other like smaller budget horror movies we talked about plenty of those like micro budget horror movies where it's just like you know they don't have a lot of money and resources but there's a respectable like gumption on screen that makes up for the lack of quality in the filmmaking or any other stuff it was like these people look like they're having fun and everything is like has this huge energy that you're embracing even though it's like smaller budgeted versus this it's sleep inducing like adam said this is like a, a cinematic ambient you take it and you like just immediately fall asleep it, i would recommend it as melatonin replacement basically yeah. over anything else it's, it took me a solid three days to actually watch it i actually like had to rent it from amazon prime because it was just the easiest way for me to watch it and it expired before i finished it and i had to rent it again i was like damn it <laughs> But yeah, it it was it was like agony to just get through it. I'm like, this movie should be so much better than it actually is. Yeah, if it takes more than one sitting to get through an 82 minute long movie, yeah, you know there's a fucking issue. I had hopes after the first kill when they killed Hank. I was like, okay, that's like a, it's a voodoo doll, and they ripped his guts out, and they had the. You know, I mean, they were they were cheap guts, but it was fun. And then then that was it. After that, yep. that was like the last interesting thing that happened for me. I could no, I completely agree. When the hang thing happened, he starts like digging into his own stomach, and, like grabbing his chest, and yeah, the guts fly out upwards, and mm-hmm. like she's getting sprayed with blood, and it's chaos. 
I'm like, oh, fucking cool. Like, all right, this is what this is what's going to be then. It's going to be a low budget, like gore feature. Yeah. Okay. I didn't think it was going this way, but I'm down for that. I can respect that. But then it's like instantly after the scene where the brother gets the phone call telling him Hank's dead, it took all the wind out of my sails. Like yeah. instantly. What? Oh, really? Okay, bye. Yeah, Hank's dead. Like, oh, woo, rough. Like, it's just so fucking stupid and boring. And then he doesn't even go into, like, maybe this is because of us, really? He's just no, like, oh, I guess, I guess his girlfriend killed him. I guess she uh, disemboweled him. That's a common thing for uh, a girlfriend to do when they're mad at uh, a man. Well, especially, yeah, <laughs> right, right. We're, like, at the, the dinner table and the girlfriend's just like, hey, you know, his ex-girlfriend, you know, after he she found out he cheated on him, just uh, killed him. It's not on you. And Chase Williams is just like, yeah, I guess. And... <laughs> <laughs> And the thing is, like, I, I think these actors have been in other things, like Graham Skipper and Chase Williamson. They've been in, like, better versions of these kind of movies. Yeah, Chase Williamson was in, like, Victor Crowley. He's been... Uh, John dies at the end. He was really fun in. Yep, he's popped up in a bunch of these little horror movies. I mean, even Scare Package, which wasn't great, but he's good in it. Uh, he's been in a ton, and it's just... Maybe look, it was man, just, it's, yeah, direction and script, it's, maybe. It's, it's 100%. It, it feels like it's somebody wrote like an idea in ballpoint pen on the front and back page of a piece of college ruled paper. And they're like, okay, we got it. Let's just go with this. Yeah. Go with it. We'll just fill the time. Here's some loose notes. Just do some stuff. You could just see on the other side of the camera, the director doing like the stretch movement with his hands. (laughs) Just stretch it out. Because like there's so... 80 minutes, God damn it. Stretch it out. (laughs) Rubbing his eyes like he's crying. Like, no, no, yeah. Really be sad. And that's where you get all the, whoa. Yeah. Oh, man. Oh, man. My best friend just got his fucking guts ripped out. I sure am. (laughs) I sure I'm a little bit bummed. Because <laughs> of that fucking girl. Yeah. <laughs> not, not the voodoo doll that I disemboweled in the back. Nothing to do with me. And the voodoo doll sprays blood all over him. So you think he would maybe make a connection? But not to, yeah. not to mention that the fucking, like, the player card looks exactly like the guy, too. Yeah. <laughs> not, not to mention that. That they were like, flip that card and go, Hank, what the fuck? Like, you know, that would have been my first thing. If I flip a card in some random board game and it's Thomas Mariani's face, <laughs> I would it be like, what the fuck is going on? Well, you know what? I, we've talked way more than I expected about Beyond the Gates, but we have an actual good movie to talk about. So, uh, Nicole, your final thoughts on uh, Beyond the Gates. Oh, God, I think I've said all the things. <laughs> um, it was... I, I thought it was going to be a lot more fun than it was. It was more of a drag. It's, it's not the worst thing that you've ever seen there's like two good gore moments uh but yeah the acting is not great it's pretty boring honestly uh you know watch it if you want to or don't you're not going to lose anything if you don't (laughs) adam any lingering thoughts (laughs) you know i I really wanted something sort of kitschy and corny uh that's what i thought it was going to be and it's not it's just a failed attempt like I said, at nostalgia baiting people like, doesn't this remind you of the eighties and view stores and VCRs and blah, blah, blah. Oh, here's some thin failed references to much better movies. Oh yeah. Don't break your girlfriend's wrist. Cause it's going to fuck <laughs> you up. Um, it's just it's going to be really hard for you to handle really emotionally. Hard, you might have to stop <laughs> drinking. Um, it's just, it's, it's, 
it's garbage, man. It's not the worst Barbara Crampton movie I've ever seen. Stay tuned for the double edge redo. Uh, but it's <laughs> it's bad, man. Like it's just it's super boring. Nobody knows what the fuck they're doing. It's filled with terrible performances, especially from like like you said, Chase Williamson, Graham Skipper, and even Bria Grant, who can be very capable. Mm-hmm. She's actually a decent actress. She's terrible in this. Everybody's terrible in this. The dad at the end. Oh, thank you, son. Goodbye, father. And then, okay. Oh my the god. Dumbest, the dumbest shit. I just thought we could save it. We did. <laughs> oh. <laughs> Jesus Christ. God. Uh, I'm leaving it with that. The dumbest shit ever. Yeah, you know, the more I think about this movie, the more I dislike it. <laughs> well, yeah, that's true. They didn't put in any registration to, like, people might think about this. I think that's that's what this feels like. It doesn't feel like, you know, when we've talked about this, we're like, low-budget horror movies, you can have, like, a lot of fun even if there's not a lot of craft there. And, like, you can see that kind of fun, like, really exude on the screen. Just like, oh, these are horror enthusiasts who might not be the most, like, capable filmmakers. But at the same time, there's an infectious joy that you would get out of seeing that. And here, it just feels like there's no joy. There's no life. There's not much of, like, anything to really cling on to. Despite having, like, some pretty solid actors in there and a really interesting premise at its heart. Like, the big takeaway I had at the end of this was... I would rather watch 82 minutes of Barbara Crampton doing the weird, like, staring thing she does when, like, <laughs> the tape just goes on forever. I'd rather watch 82 minutes of that, and that's way more interesting to me than this really dull fucking movie. <laughs> yeah, it feels like there's no passion in it, and, yeah. and it comes across on the screen. Exactly, for sure. But uh, before we get into our next feature, here is a promo for another ESO show you can queue up right after ours. So, Brittany, Martha... <laughs> Tell me about your podcast. Oh, no. <laughs> it's like we're in sync, but also kind of a disaster. We are always a disaster. So our podcast is fun if you want to hear two people talk about and complain about stuff that <laughs> a they lot of love and also hate. And drink. And drink. And the show is Same. called? Oh. <laughs> but, but first, let's, let's talk, talk nerdy. And you can find us on the ESO Network. Bye-bye. See you next Tuesday. <laughs> All right, now let's get into Jacob's Wife. How do you know, husband, whether you will save your wife? You make plans for things. Life happens. I want to live a bigger life. got new teeth coming in. What? Eh. Oh, good, you're home. Get changed. I'd like to go out. 40 years I've known this woman. Every day the same. Now, I don't know who I'm coming home to. How much of that could I get? You want the blood? So, uh, Jacob's Wife came out uh, April 16th, 2021, a film from early this year, so spoilers for a fairly recent release here, uh, from uh, director and co-writer Travis Stevens that stars Barbara Crampton. She also produced this along with, by the way, Beyond the Gates. Both of these are movies she produced, and uh, she stars alongside Larry Fessenden, who's been with her in a couple movies. And Adam, this was your choice, so why don't you go ahead and give people at least a brief plot synopsis in case they're not familiar with uh, Jacob's all right jacob's wife is uh about uh, a preacher's wife in this little town the preacher being the titular uh jacob but it's barbara crampton and she's sort of like you know 
bored with her life and her marriage and everything like that and she's maybe looking for a little bit more excitement this guy she sort of used to see or have a crush on comes back into town uh to make like a real estate deal and there's you know maybe going to be an affair that's going to start and they end up in this really crazy place and they're attacked by something and uh slowly she starts to show signs of uh maybe vampirism and it kind of goes into that and her trying to cover up what she's been doing and also uh when jacob finds out and how that relationship sort of what's going to happen there and and uh you know so on and so forth and uh i uh picked it because i saw it because i heard a lot about it and i didn't know what it was going to be going in i expected kind of just a normal vampire movie especially from a lot of the promo images and stuff it looked pretty cool pretty gory and it is all those things but it's also a very dark comedy and Mm. i was not expecting that and it did make me laugh a couple times for sure well and then nicole what'd you think of uh, jacob's wife I was pleasantly surprised because, I mean, I've seen so many vampire movies. Didn't expect to like it nearly as much as I did. It is completely because of Barbara Crampton and Larry Fessenden. They are so good. Their chemistry is amazing. And I love how he's playing very, like, against his type. He's usually kind of like the crazy guy. And he's very subdued, very much playing the straight man in this. It's not that that Jacob is a bad guy or a bad husband. It's just, they have fallen into this routine. She does the same thing every day and he comes to expect it because she does the same thing every day and she's hasn't complained about it. So she hasn't like voiced her, her concerns to him. So he's clueless that she's like desperately unhappy. And even like that, the, the boring non vampire stuff really works in this movie way more than, you know, I expected it to. She's great. I love the like 80s housewife workout thing that she does in the mornings with the little like dumbbells. I don't know why, but that I thought was just like really funny. I love the transformation that she goes through. I love how she just kind of like turns from this like very mousy, always getting talked over to this kind of badass where she's just like, yeah, I'm just going to do what I feel like doing. Cool. All right. Yeah. And, but then also he's thrown off by it, but then he's like, oh, okay, I guess this is what we're going to do now. And then, you know, he he finds out that she's a freaking vampire because he walks into the kitchen shortly after she has ripped a guy's entire head off and just sprayed his blood all over her face and is licking it off the floor. And like he kind of gets on board really quick. There it wasn't perfect. There were some things that were hokey. There was a couple things that were a little bit silly, but I overall absolutely loved it it's because of their performances like when they're not on screen it's it's like not as great but man i i I really loved it i watched it twice yeah um i hadn't seen this before though at the same time i've been curious about it um especially because this was a big passion project for crampton she was like a really big producer and really wanted to get it made because she was so gung-ho about like this kind of story and i get why because the most refreshing thing to me about this movie is that it's like oh it's a horror movie about, like, middle-aged people. Like, 
we, yeah. we don't get that a lot, and it's fascinating, especially earlier on, like you mentioned, a lot of the setup stuff that in other horror movies would be perfunctory. It's a lot more engaging because, like, you totally believe in Anne's plight. It's just, like, not someone who's been, like you mentioned, like, sort of like, oh, she's completely horribly done dirty by her husband, but as much as, like, they've fallen into a familiar routine. And it's just been so much of like, oh, we do this every day and everything's the same. And it's not like they don't love each other, but there's not as much passion in their relationship. And she really feels that. And you can see why she would be tempted to go with uh, her uh, former fling, Tom Lowe, um, where even though he's just like, oh, I'm a guy that works like construction or whatever, she finds him a lot more like fascinating and passionate. And like that scene, especially where she... And uh, Robert Wessler is the actor, like, go back and forth about, like, oh, yeah, how you have you been? And it's just like, oh, you know, Jacob was there when my mom died. I was going to leave. But, you know, I he was there, and I, I didn't want to really let him down or anything like that. You can really see, like, this feels like a natural, sad, actual life that, like, somebody could lead because, like, they lose that kind of passion. And the thing that brings vitality to her whole relationship and everything in her life is becoming a fucking blood-sucking vampire. <laughs> you know, there's a moment where when they're kind of like reconnecting after she is a blood-sucking vampire where he looks at her uh, and says, I'm sorry that I talk over you sometimes. And she says something along the lines of like, I'm sorry I never spoke up about that being a problem. You know, and it's like they've both kind of just allowed themselves to fall into these unsatisfying roles, you know? Which happens. It's a real thing that happens in marriages. It's why a lot of marriages fail. It just felt real. That's the thing is, I think it is a dark comedy. My biggest problem with the movie would probably be the fact that, like, it doles out the comedy a bit better during the first half. And then I think once Larry Festin finds out about it, um, it becomes a bit more zany in a way that I thought was a bit odd. Like, you talked about this, how, like, he's so immediately in on it. It feels like, okay, I don't mind this turn, but it feels odd for this particular movie where everything feels so much more, like, straightforward and a lot more, like, these are natural reactions for him to just be like, I'm a preacher who completely is on board with the fact that you're a blood-sucking vampire. I'm good with it. <laughs> like, it just felt a bit weird yeah. to me. There could have been a little bit more development of, like, him coming to terms with it. But, you know, it, again, it doesn't have to be perfect. I, I really like the fact, too, that it wasn't like he cheated on her or hit her or anything like that just they were both kind of bored yeah like it just got stale and boring and you know the thing is yeah he does snap kind of into quick like i guess this is what we're doing now but in a way it, it made sense to me to where now it's like all right all we really do have is each other i have you you have me let's fix this and do what we can to make things right now and it's almost like an allegory to save their marriage yeah, it, it really is. You know, like they, they have fallen into this kind of negative routine, but once they're reminded of the fact that they, they love and depend on each other, they're like, well, all right, this is this is the way our lives are now, so we're going to do this together. And it's kind of weirdly romantic. <laughs> yeah, I think that's better exemplified like uh, near the climax of the movie where they go back to that warehouse and he's just like, whoa, wait, are we going to like kill people in here? I don't feel like I can do that. It's just like, look... I thought we were on the same page here. I thought, like, you've never really had the need to fight for me, so you don't know how to do it, I guess. That's the problem. Like, that scene, I think, actually does a better job of, like, really getting you on board with, like, okay, this is why Fessenden and Crampton have, like, this initial argument that gets them to eventually become vampire slayers. I think that's, like, the more interesting mm -hmm. thing of just, like, oh, hey, we're, we have to, like, kind of have a conflict about this, but then ultimately get to the same page of, like, you know what? If we're going to keep this marriage together, we have to kill this Nosferatu-looking motherfucker. <laughs> Yes. 
And oh my god, the the vampire, the master, whatever, um, is totally Barlow from Salem's Lot, right? From the made for TV oh. movie. Yes, looks a lot like that. Shadow. It's a uh, Bonnie Aarons of the Nun fame playing that character. Yes, stunningly. I expected sort of the Nosferatu looking character, but they really did a really good job with the makeup on that. I mean, it's still clearly Bonnie Aarons. If you know it's her, it's her. But if you didn't, it's almost like this genderless just entity. It's just solely works on, you know, primalistic, animalistic bloodlust and power. And I just thought that was a really cool way to do it. It wasn't like this super attractive vampire, like seducing her to, you know, come to the dark side, uh, for lack of a better term. It was just this horrible rat-faced creature. And I I just thought that was kind of cool because you almost expect the sort of sexy vampire. You know, that's kind of what's been ingrained in a modern culture. And uh, I've always been sort of fan of the more animalistic, crazy looking creature. Yeah, me too. I, I love like ugly, scary looking vampire. Uh-huh. Yeah, but what I like at the same time is that even though it looks like a monster at the same time, the master is able to like manipulate in a way that feels like it's actually trying to relate to Barbara Crampton, which is like these humans have no respect for you. Like, you look at what your life's been before this point. Like, you wouldn't you be more comfortable being, like, a blood-sucking vampire with me instead of having a domestic life, unfulfilling marriage, and being around all these, like, dumb humans who don't really care about you? I loved how they, like, really built on that relationship, particularly when even the Master dies. It's, it's still going full on board for, like, this is in their nature. This is what they'll do. I thought that was a really compelling, like, back and forth between uh, her and the master character. Yeah, that was that was really neat. Um, and there's also, like, a few other fun people, like um, CM Punk appears as one of the deputies. <laughs> I know, and I, I was watching for a while, and then I'm like, holy shit, that's CM Punk. Like, it took me a minute to catch on. Yeah, the back and forth he has with uh, Jay Johnson as the the sheriff, which is like, uh, how are you going to report this dispute? Uh, domestic uh, nonviolence, I guess, is how we're going to report it. Yeah. Like, those are the jokes that really sort of, like, uh, worked for me. Um, what about uh, you, Adam? I mean, you're the big wrestler, obviously. CM Punk popping up probably was a huge thing for you. No, because I don't really like that guy. Uh, <laughs> no, but... <laughs> I, I thought he was perfect in this movie, man. Because uh, he does. Thing about CM Punk is he's got such a like a unique look to him, like where he's got like almost a skinny, gaunt-looking face, but he's in incredibly good shape. And you know, this is now like the third horror movie I've seen him in because he was also in that Girl on the Third Floor, which is from the same director as well. Yeah, and then the Saska Sisters remake of Rabbit. I think he's got some okay chops. Like he's not great. But I, I think he works really well in these little character pieces. I, I would say of like the non sort of major three that we've talked about previously, my favorite other cast member is probably um, Naisha Bell as Amelia, the the one woman who is like the first victim of the vampire who we end up seeing again. The way that she especially like taunts everybody um, once mm-hmm. uh, like like Larry, when Larry Fessenden's in the warehouse and she just taunts about just like oh do you want to save me? Is that what you're going to do? You're going to be able to save me, father, from this? And she also like is responsible for like I think the one of the gorier deaths in the movie with like where she just splits that one guy's neck open and it looks like his head is yeah. just like hanging on a thread is like gore is just coming out <laughs> by the gallons. I will say though, how fucking long did it take for her to walk home from church? Because she leaves the church and she's walking and she's walking and she's walking before she's turned, you know, she's walking and it gets twilight and she's still walking and then it gets dark and she's still walking and I'm like 
how far away does this woman live from the church? Because usually church is kind of in the morning. And when she gets attacked, it is clearly nighttime. Wait, you take a bus <laughs> if it's that far away. <laughs> I'm like, call a freaking Uber or something. God. <laughs> yeah, it's, it, the, the geography of the town isn't necessarily uh, well established. It's a, little, <laughs> it's a little loose. <laughs> right. Barbara Crampton's going around like the supermarket. I love that whole sequence. Um, that immediately established like yeah. she can't eat food as we've established previously but she's like being so cool about going down the fucking aisles of the shitty grocery store and even with like the you wanted to get the blood and she just walks out yeah. with like giant bags of blood I think that's some of like where the humor I think worked at its best is when it was kind of dulled out in a situational way with stuff like that or even just the image of like Barbara Crampton moving around a giant couch in the middle of her living room <laughs> just small stuff like that which is like this is like fun observational things just like oh you wouldn't be able to do this if you were Barbara Crampton, but it worked. Like that kind of stuff worked, and it kind of like went, this is an example where like this is clearly a low budget movie, but you can get around those like limitations because there's still a charm and there's still creativity going on. You can even get around very fake looking rats, <laughs> like when um, Robert Russell gets attacked. What? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> There was a couple of real bad CGI rats. There was like four actual rats, I think, in the movie, and then all the rest of them were something else. I don't know. There's this <laughs> weird combination where, like, especially when he's like melting away when the rats are around him, where like the actual gory effects of him like melting down are like, oh, that's actually pretty stellar. But he's got like fucking stuffed animal rats like taped to it. <laughs> it's really weird contrast. Duct taped to his face. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, fucking beat pretty great <laughs> basically being babies but at the same time that stuff isn't as noticeable or big a problem when you have like a real heart to your movie and you have like something that you can actually gravitate toward despite the low budget yeah this is a, actually a perfect example of you know how you can go wrong with a low budget movie and how you can go right with it and it's so much to do with the creativity and talent and heart associated with the team that's making the movie because this could have been a pile of dog shit but it's not because you feel that they love this project it could have been like the first movie we talked about yeah yeah, yeah i absolutely agree with you and the thing is too it also goes to show that you can maybe take a sort of story or plot devices that have been done to fucking death like i would say both of these movies have done Mm -hmm. But the fact that, I mean, it is successful, even if it sucked, I would respect it because at least they tried something a little different or tried mm -hmm. to turn it on its head a little bit. Um, and, you know, ultimately it does work. And I, I do think that most of that does absolutely fall on Barbara Crampton and Larry Fessenden, 100%. They're both so good in it. And they both light up the screen. And especially, of course, Barbara Crampton we talked about, but just to shine a little bit more on uh, Larry Fessenden as well. And I agree with what you said earlier, Nicole, that it's so against type for him. Mm -hmm. um, he's usually the heavy or the scumbag or the crazy guy. Or, I mean, even look like look at another movie with him with You're Next. There's no doubt he's a sleazeball in You're Next. Like 100%. In this, he's just a dude like he's got problems and everything of course but he's just a tired man and mm -hmm. he, he's like i said he's unfulfilled by his marriage and you even get the idea he's unfulfilled by his profession at this point and it's just it's such a really good performance and i do like what you said thomas too and i i, I think that's 100 percent accurate it's a movie about sort of the agony and maybe horror and maybe sort of the the stagnation of middle age yeah and it, 
a lot of people's points at middle age, they just sort of accept what they've become and what their life is. And this is just how we have to live now for the rest of our lives. And um, which is scary, but change is also incredibly scary too. Yeah. Um, and in this, they just put a vampire face on it instead of having it be, you know, well, let's go travel or let's go to Tuscany or some bullshit. You go live, laugh, love. <laughs> yeah, right. Yeah. <laughs> right. Yeah, this is ultimately an outside force projecting real fears that a lot of people who are involved in long marriages and at, you know, sort of middle age or even going through menopause, perhaps, or, or things like that might experience, you know, fear and doubt of yourselves and of your relationship and sort of longing for what could have been or what might have been. And this just does a really sort of cool idea of making a little gory vampire movie on top of it. Yeah, yeah. I mean, a- aging is—it's like that's a real. Sucks. Thing. You know, I'm in, I'm in my my forties now. I hate to admit it, but like, I'm almost I'm one I'm one year shy of forty. So. You know, you start to really think about, oh shit, I want to do like all this stuff in my life, and like, I'm probably at least halfway done now. Like, <laughs> so oh, it, it, it's like it, it's it's a very realistic thing. Every single human goes through it, and like you said, a lot of people, it's easier to just stay with the status quo and do what's expected of you and not rock the boat because at least you know what that is. But then eventually you're going to come to a point where you're like, I'm going to stick a fucking pen in my eyeball if I don't have something interesting or different happen to me. And that's how you see marriages of like 25 years fall apart because people are just like, I just can't exist like this anymore you know it's just it, like i said it, it's a really real representation of what happens to so many of us as we get older and we realize holy shit i've got to like either live my life or just just be bored as shit until i die you know and that's what's interesting is that like you like i mentioned before you don't get a lot of horror movies about that which is so weird because you get obviously there's a lot more like youth aimed horror movies about like fears of being young or even if you do get to like the older ones it's like the of fear of being extremely old and at death's door versus this middle point has a lot more potential for especially like horror and it's just is not exploited that much because it feels like oh there's not a huge audience for that there's that's always that problem but thankfully you have something like a shutter that's able to like facilitate a cool idea like this of just like hey let's do a horror movie named at like people in between like their 40s to 50s but actually have it be like um something that's really interesting and fun and lively at the same time that it's aiming at sort of an audience base that horror doesn't unfortunately aim for despite the fact that horror is a really cool versatile genre yeah i agree and you know it it, the other thing too it's like routine can be an incredible sort of comfort a lot of people find solace in that but for some people it's the most terrifying thing in the world like you said about middle age is when you start to feel like your your clock is ticking and that there's an end point to this at some point and then so that's where you start to have that that clash between i love the security of routine but i need to do things with the time i have left so yes it is i don't know why there's not more horror movies about this it's just this most terrifying age ever maybe it's because i'm in it i don't know (laughs) yeah in the beginning when um there's there's a couple scenes like Jacob is brushing his teeth uh, and then like they go to bed and he's snoring and then like the next scene he's like eating and they focus very like intimately on these things because and you feel her being like if I have got to watch this guy like brush his teeth like that one more night 
you know, it's just you feel her being over it. It's like realizing your partner has a nose whistle and it's just the only thing you can focus on. That's what she's doing. I think that's why I really dug this movie as much as I did. It's it takes sort of the things we all know can happen to people is sort of in the the middle aged part of their lives and in marriages and relationships of any kind. And it just flips it on its head. The middle aged crisis happens, you know, or instead of, you know, the guy going to get a fucking Corvette or whatever (laughs) it's uh, she gets bitten by a fucking vampire. Yeah. And then it's like, now this is our going to be our new routine. And this is how we do it. How do we fix this? How do we stay committed to each other with this new issue? Right. But I like how that also evolves where like she initially, like when she realizes this is happening, she's terrified, especially the scene where like she does her workout routine thing and then looks in the mirror and says, what are you? And what do you want? Like, that's a really like, that's a, oncoming horror of like oh my god something has changed within me and then she's like oh my god this change has happened i could get used to this this is different and fun and then it eventually evolved into like but how am i going to make this work with my relationship if it can at all i like the evolution of that yes and it also makes her super horny which was really interesting <laughs> that's true it just feels it's that vitality which is like i haven't felt this in years i like even how like the movie ends on this note that like in worst hands could feel like it's a sitcom setup where it's just like, she's a vampire, he's a priest, Wednesdays on CBS. <laughs> but like, it feels like it's a fun note to leave on. I'm just like, well, uh, this is very different, but uh, we'll make it work. Maybe? Yeah, maybe yeah. We'll, we'll make it work. <laughs> you don't know, which I think is really interesting. Because it gives you enough sort of mixed doubt about like, well, we got through this situation, but we have to keep living after this point. So it's just like, who, who would be living, who might be undead by the next time we see Jacob and jacob's wife who knows so we'll go ahead and go into final thoughts and nicole final thoughts on jacob's wife um i I, you know like i said i just really i I enjoyed every aspect of it i enjoyed the the characters and you know the way they played against each other was was really what made this movie but i also enjoyed you know the story i enjoyed the gore like the part where she barfs on the carpet it just comes out of nowhere like she's she's like having this great like I'm a strong woman moment. And she's like drinking her like red wine blood and this, and then she's just like, and like spews projectile vomits blood on the carpet. I really enjoyed this movie and I would definitely recommend this to any listeners. Again, there are parts of it where you're going to be like, okay, that's a little cheesy, but very few of those. Mostly it is an absolute win Adam, your final thoughts? I think it's a super solid fucking movie, man. It's a really fun black comedy about vampirism and what that would entail and how to deal with it and all that stuff. There's a lot of funny moments, a lot of great performances. But if you maybe want to, like I said, look into it a little bit deeper, there's a lot of weight to the story, too. I I really enjoyed the movie a lot. I would say as someone who's not quite at that middle age point, I still found it very interesting because it's just like it's just a different perspective you don't get from horror movies because it's so much about like I said either like very youth obsessed or if we're gonna go older it's at the very end of life versus this middle age has a lot more potential horror to it that usually is just sidelined to be like oh the parents are going through this or some old person is going through this basically appealing to a generational age that like a lot of horror movies don't appeal to which is a bummer because there's a lot of like really fun palpable like character driven stuff here that I really liked I think like I said some of the humor stuff feels a bit mixed bag to me especially as it like gets a bit more comedically driven in the second half but the same thing there's still a lot of fun like one of my probably my favorite gag of the whole movie is the bit where um cm punk and uh jay johnson like pull over larry fessenden and they find his little case 
with all the vampire stuff. <laughs> and one of them is just like a paperback version of Dracula. <laughs> <laughs> the kid. Yeah. Just of course that's what you need. <laughs> to get rid of a vampire is a paperback of the Bram Stoker novel. <laughs> Makes enough sense. Throw it at him. Everyone knows you bring the hardback for that though. That's a rookie mistake. You gotta bring like the really <laughs> the hardcover version for that to work. Uh but but yeah, I, I thought it was a really solid movie. Especially um if you're looking for a different perspective on horror movies that isn't like as youth obsessed as it usually is. This is a solid turn. It's on shutter. Uh, everyone's favorite streaming service to have around this season. Uh, so definitely uh, watch it over there for sure. But uh, before we get to our next segment, here is a message from the ESO crew that we fully endorse. Welcome to Dr. Geek's Laboratory. Dr. Geek here with another reminder that the ESO network is pro-science and pro-vaccine. We urge you to be a superhero and protect yourself, your family, and your fellow geeks around the world. Don't be fooled by the forces of evil and their anti-science misinformation campaign. Consult the latest CDC guidelines, your doctor, and get the COVID vaccine today. All right, so now we're doing uh, our weekly segment we do after our movies called The Double Redo, where basically every week, Adam and I uh, program the best and worst possible double feature based around the topic uh, to complement the episode. Uh, so we recommend and don't recommend two movies. Uh, that are related to, in this case, Barbara Crampton. And uh, I'll go ahead and start off with my choices here. Uh, for my two good, um, for in terms of film starring Barbara Crampton, I have um, uh, first a more recent choice, which is uh, We Are Still Here, which is another movie that came out around uh, this the same time as like a Beyond the Gates, where it's basically about a family after the death of their uh, college-age son. They move to a different town into this house that uh, seems to have some sort of haunted visage to it. And admittingly, that's a very familiar premise. I think the the movie definitely is dealing with very familiar terms of like a haunted house movie, but I think uh, it's Ted Geoghan is the director. He does a pretty solid job of taking that basic basic premise and doing some really fun stuff with it. I think he has uh, a lot of fun with particularly like, the ghosts that come up here, I think are a very unique version of the ghosts. And Crampton is very good, especially at playing like this grieving mother who you fully believe. Um, she has so much like real regret and heart in her performance that makes it work far better than it could have in the wrong hands. And then the other movie I have is technically a short, but there's a bit of a complicated history to this. Uh, it's called The Evil Clergyman. And uh, basically what this was was originally a segment that was a part of an anthology for Full Moon Features, uh, I believe it's called Pulse Pounders, where it was going to involve, um, this is one of the segments, along with two other segments that were a sequel to both Trancers and Dungeon Master. Um, this was supposed to come out in like 87, it was filmed in 87, but that 35mm uh, negative got lost for several years until around 2011. Charles Band found the, uh, a VHS copy of the original negative, so they released that. And um, I'm only going by the particular the segment, The Evil Clergyman, which is based on H.P. Lovecraft's story and features Barbara Crampton along with a few familiar faces from her reanimator days, like Jeffrey Combs uh, and uh, David Gale as a weird rat creature, which is very interesting. Um, that dude was very game to do whatever for, after being in reanimator, doing just like a really weird performance in this little segment. Um, and also David Warner shows up. It's um, a really interesting 
sort of small depiction of like basically this woman who goes up to this castle and stays in this room where her lover used to stay until he committed suicide. And it becomes this weird kind of ghost story that I could see if it was longer, it would probably be a lot more boring and dull. But at about 30 minutes, which it's on 2B TV currently, um, it really works as like a solid little uh, contained short story of sorts that I would uh, I'd recommend to people. It's a quick 30-minute watch that has a lot of weird full moon aspects to it, but also really solid performances from Combs and Crampton, for sure. And then uh, my two bad are, um, one is kind of a so bad it's good fun choice that we've talked about on the show, and it is uh, Chopping Mall. We talked about this on our Dick Miller episode, and uh, basically uh, it's a slasher film, but in the vein of it's a bunch of people staying at a mall when killer security robots come and destroy them. We've talked about it previously. It's a really fun little weird movie that it doesn't make a lot of sense, but it has so much charm to it, and it's really just such a fun ride. And Crampton has a pretty solid role amongst a bunch of weird-ass people at that fucking mall. I can't emphasize enough how it's such a weird grouping of fucking, like, it's supposed to be like, yeah, we're like young adults, but they all have... Such strange personalities that wouldn't fit any human being whatsoever. <laughs> and they face up against these cheap-ass looking robots. It's a lot of fun. It's a lot more fun, at least, than I would say the other choice I have, which is Puppet Master The Littlest Reich, which we've talked about Puppet Master on the show previously. And I have a lot of affection for those movies, no matter how kind of bad they can be. Mainly because a lot of them at least feel more sincere than The Littlest Reich, which was uh, a movie that was sort of like a reboot of the... Puppet Master franchise basically turned these characters who originally were created to fight the Nazis in World War II into actual Nazi puppets. And there's a lot of impressive gore, and there's a lot of famous people in it, like Thomas Lennon's in it, and Crampton, of course, is in it, amongst other people. But it is such like a mean-spirited, shitty movie that just like goes for the jugular in a way that doesn't feel like, oh, it's actually being subversive and interesting, as much as just like it feels like very teen boy attempting to shock you with like the binder drawings in his notebook kind of thing in a way that gets really tired really fast. And I think it weirdly, despite how it's a much better made movie than a lot of the other puppet master movies, it's a much worse experience to watch than some of the cheapest fucking movies ever with those puppet master movies. It doesn't have as much of that heart that we talked about. It's completely missing that. And I think it's a much worse film for it. It's terrible. very astute (laughs) that's that's all i have to say about it it's so awful Uh, it pissed me off watching it i was just like why why am i watching this yeah i've never seen evil clergyman now i'm going to like probably right after we record um it, it sounds interesting and plus i'm always down for anything that you know has at least that trifecta of actors in it, it, it sounds fun. So I'll definitely check it out. Uh, we are still here. I watched probably a year ago for the first time. I really dug it, but it's one of those haunted house movies to where the whole movie, I'm going like fucking move, <laughs> get out of yeah. that fucking house. So I found it a little bit frustrating at times, but still I, I loved the effect uh, and sort of the, um, creature if you want to call it creature design of the actual ghosts like i thought they were really scary and effective and it is filled with a lot of really good um performances as well um chopping mall like you said we've talked about it i love it for all its 80s cheesies fucking ridiculousness uh, i will agree it is not necessarily a good movie as far as the 
you know, standards of what people would call this movie is fucking great. Uh, but it is great in its ridiculousness. It is absolutely bananas, bonkers, crazy shit, but I love it for that. And uh, Pump Master Little Strike, I'll keep it brief. Um, that's one of my least favorite movies I've seen in the last 10 years. It's one of those movies that is purposely trying to be offensive uh, with no weight to it. Um, I understand, you know, they're Nazis and all that stuff and blah, 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 blah. But the sort of anti-Semitic uh, angle it decides to take is uh, just deplorable and disgusting to me. I, I, it's just, I love Puppet Master as well. I'm a big Full Moon guy. I always have been. I used to own every Puppet Master movie. You know, I have a Puppet Master mask. I have all this stuff. Uh, but that is just deplorable garbage. Yeah, like, my my husband is a, is a huge Puppet Master fan. We have Dolls of the Puppets, right? huge fan. Um, and, I, and I am as well, but we sat down and watched it together, and he kind of said the same thing. Like, this is not the spirit of the Puppet Master movies at all. Yeah, I think that you you described it really well of just calling it like an adolescent boy's like, look how much of a badass I am. Look how shocking and crazy I am. It's 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 definitely freaking awful. Especially so weird for like having been written by S. Craig Zoller, the guy who wrote like Bone Tomahawk, one of the more like fascinating, maturer examples of like horrific, gory like horror. And then this just feels like, oh, he's just tossing this off in a way. Because it just feels like it don't even, he doesn't respect anything at all about Puppet Master, which they're not great movies, but like have some respect for it if you're going to write it. There's a lore that exists, you know, and I get right. that they were trying to kind of do a bit of like a, a soft reboot or something, but it's completely disrespectful yeah. to any of the ones that came before it. Um, we are still here. I love and I love the fact that it starts off as like a, a creepy haunted house movie. And then about halfway through, it just goes like bonkers, bananas, gore fest. And, you know, like there's one moment where a guy's chest just explodes yeah. at like almost like they open up two flaps and like his chest is just like, bah, bah. I mean, it's great. And again, the performances were fantastic. Uh, Chopping Mall. I have a soft spot in my heart for Chopping Mall. Yes, I know it's a bad movie. I'm fully aware, but it's really fun. I love the fact that it is marketed as a slasher, and it is not a slasher at all. Such false advertising with the title. It's, it's such... Yes! <laughs> the posters, everything. You are fully on board for a completely different movie than the one that you get. And you get this weird, like, mall Robocop thing it's very like 80s fun and, and i adore it but adam you have some choices that you want to deliver now go ahead with uh, your good and bad a double reduce all right for my good i have probably the most obvious one uh which i think still holds up uh immensely well it was been one of my favorite horror movies forever it kind of is the movie that kind of got me into horror and that is uh, of course reanimator you know, I could sit here and talk about it for an hour. Everybody knows who's listening to this episode what Reanimator is. Uh, it's a classic for a reason. Probably never better. Jeffrey Combs, you know, David Gale, Barbara Crampton, it, on and on. It's gory. It's sexy. It's funny. There are things that might not hold up to, by today's standards, but for the time it came out, uh, I think it's pretty flawless in execution. And then my other one, another newer film, uh, 
responsible basically for her resurgence. I think it just had its 10 year anniversary. Um, and that's your next, um, also her and Larry Fessenden, even though they never share a scene together, but, uh, your next is just a really another dark comedy home invasion thriller also with another badass female lead. Um, it's super fun, gory, violent, uh, just, it takes t- twists and turns that some of them you might expect, some of them you don't. Um, it's just super, super fun. And it's, it's just, it's a breeze to get through. And I highly recommend it for anybody who's into horror movies or even, you know, dark comedies to maybe give it a try. And for my bad, I have, uh, you know, the thing is, it's another full moon movie. I don't know how I feel about the franchise as a whole. I like some of the ideas of it. It's just, it's so silly. And I'd argue the second one might be the worst one. And that's Trancers 2 um, with Tim Thomerson and Barbara Crampton. It, it is classic full moon, I guess, aiming for the moon. Uh, but it, it's just, you feel the budget and you feel the limitations the whole time. I give them credit. They are really trying to go for it. It just kind of falls flat all over the place. And then the other one is my choice for the worst movie featuring Barbara Crampton and potentially one of the worst movies I've ever seen in my life. And it's sad to say because the cast is so fucking stacked and awesome. And I love basically everyone in it. It is just a unwatchable mess of a movie. And that is 2017's Death House, or also known as The Expendables of Horror. Um, it is just garbage nobody in it is really given a chance to shine it's a lot of just like hey look who that is hey look who that is hey look who that is and nobody has any really weight to their character it's looks stupid the sort of rules that are set in place in the movie are ridiculous uh the effect work is terrible the camera work is terrible the acting from anybody who's not sort of an icon is is the worst especially the leads you have to follow they're so unlikable and just unwatchably bad um it's just it's a travesty of a film and i fucking hate it like literally movies usually don't anger me to the point where i'm like i want to punch my television uh this (laughs) one did that i fucking i hated it so much like i feel like i wasted my time watching it and i usually don't get that out of movies like i've watched a lot of bad movies and i'm like oh okay whatever even the ones that are perplexingly bad like some of the ones we've had to do for this show i'm still like that was bad but i'm glad i saw it because how the fuck is this even a thing this is like that was so bad i wish i i never even knew it existed it's just one of the worst things i've ever seen in my life not a fan wow <laughs> uh, I mean, yeah, that was my alternative choice, and uh, Adam was very glad that we didn't get that. I'd heard about it because I remember I used to do a horror podcast, and that was in the news for a while. Just like, oh, it's the Expendables of Horror. We're getting together like everybody to be in this one movie, and it was sort of like hyped up like that. And I'd heard it was atrocious, so I never bothered with it. And I'm glad I did not bother with it. Um, I've also never seen Trancers Two. I've seen the first Trancers, which I think is fun for the obvious like Terminator ripoff that it is, but I've not delved into the various sequels uh, to that one. And then, I mean, I've obviously seen your, your two good ones. I remember the thing is with your next, it's been 10 years since the, it first premiered at a film festival, which I remember like it was one of those movies where it premiered at like some fantastic fest or something. And it was so hyped for like two years because it couldn't get a theatrical release. I kept hearing from people who had seen it at festivals like, Oh my God, 
this is a great horror movie. This is so good. You guys got to see it. It's so good. And then when it finally came out in theaters, I think by like 2013, I was so fascinated. So I finally ended up seeing it. And what I love about that movie too is none of the trailers advertise the fact that it's incredibly hilarious. Like, every trailer was so much more about, like, oh, this is the scariest home invasion movie ever. And that movie pulls such a great turn that I love with the Sharnie Vincent character. It's such a phenomenal way of, like, oh, my God, this, like, setup is going to be so upsetting. And it's going to be so violent and fucked up. And then she just turns that where it's like, it is, but it's going to be against the guys who try and do the home invasion. It's so stellar. I love that twist on it. It works so well. And Reanimator, obviously, classic. I rewatched it the other night and still is so phenomenal what i love about crampton's character in particular in that movie is like on paper she seems like she would be like the airhead of the relationship but i love that very clearly she's the smart one and bruce abbott is her dumb boy toy (laughs) but in like a really fun way where it's like they do actually care about each other but she's clearly the much smarter person in the relationship considering she's immediately on herbert west's bullshit and he's just like i mean i don't know maybe the cat did die earlier we don't know (laughs) <laughs> she just immediately sees through that bullshit. It's uh, it's, it's a pretty fun. Even with I agree, like some of the stuff where it's like, oh, she's like when she gets kidnapped, might have like some ickier connotations if it wasn't for the fact that she just for like a more developed character before that point. Yeah, I, you know, you guys kind of really said it all about these. Um, you know, Reanimator is just it's one of my favorite movies of all time, and I love her in it. Like I said before, you know, she feels like so much more than a scream queen. You're next. Like you guys said, it's it's great. I've never seen Trancers 2, so I can't really talk about that. I watched the trailer for Death House, and wow, I'm not going to watch that movie. I'm just not. <laughs> I, have seen, I have seen some fabulously bad and loved fabulously bad movies. Like, it, my hobby is is wonderfully awful crap movies and um it looks like something i it would take me a while to get over i think it's like you said i would want to throw a shoe through my tv uh well before we uh get out of this segment let's go ahead and just repeat our choices that we had for the double redo here uh, my two good choices were we are still here and the evil clergyman and my two bad choices were chopping mall and puppet master the littlest reich and for my good, I had Reanimator and Your Next. And for my bad, I had Transfers 2 and Death House. Yes, and submit your double reduce if you have any for uh, Miss Crampton. Uh, but we also want to thank some people before we uh, start getting out of the show and doing our picking for next week. We want to thank Chris Oliver for the intro and outro music used in our show. Listen more of his music at chrisoliver.bandcamp.com. Thanks to Christian Thor Lally for the artwork for our show. Uh, follow him at Night of Water. That's Night with a K, underscore of, underscore water, uh, for more of his great stuff. We also want to thank our Patreon supporters, patreon.com slash dedbpod, where for just $1 a month, you get all sorts of extra goodies that we put into your uh, Halloween trick-or-treat bags, including uh, bonus podcasts like around the time this will be uh, coming out. There should be an on-the-edge-of-relevance for the latest uh, in the Michael Myers saga, Halloween Kills. Uh, we'll be talking all about that in spoilery detail on that Patreon episode. And uh, not too long after that, we'll be doing uh, our what we like to do, the monthly bonus episode uh, for October. is going to be our top 10 
horror movie deaths. So Adam and I will both have top 10 lists. We'll be very curious to see how those pan out when we record that. There are polls that you can uh, pick, uh, movies that we cover for the show or topics we do. And uh, this week there will be a poll in which uh, you all get to choose which cast member from House of Gucci, the upcoming film, uh, we just do an entire episode about. It'll be either Adam Driver or Al Pacino two that we've definitely wanted to do episodes on and you all get to decide which one gets to have that opportunity first give me some pacino baby (laughs) putting it down for pacino (laughs) put in your uh your weight on the pacino option for sure but uh we also want to thank our lovely guest nicole nicole thank you so much for being on it was a pleasure having you on uh why don't you plug yourself now where can people find you on the internet uh you can find me on instagram at battle cougar which is mostly a lot of pictures of my cat, uh, but trust me, she's worth it. Um, you can find my podcast, Caught Dead Watching. Um, it is where we talk about uh, some of the best and worst of the very worst movies out there. We've been on hiatus for a little while because 2020 kicked our asses, um, and I guess 2021 too, because we're almost done with that. But uh, uh, we are, uh, my partner and I, Nathan, are gearing up to get back going again soon. So um, we'll have some new episodes out. And thank you so much for having me because this was a lot of fun. Um, I love any opportunity that I have to uh, to talk movies. Uh, you can also find me. Oh God, I almost forgot. Um, I am part of the Needless Things commentary team um, on Needless Things podcasts, so you can find me there as well, where I talk about movies that sometimes aren't horror, which is weird. They make me talk about other stuff. Yes, uh, with a friend of the show, Dave West, who's been on previously. Uh, you, you all have yes. a, a lot of fun over there. Yes. <laughs> we, we do. <laughs> um, and you can find us on Twitter and Facebook at DEDBpod. Uh, we also recommend you submit feedback to us, bill at gmail.com, all spelled out. And uh, if you can't support us on the Patreon for the $1 a month, that's cool. You can also help us out with a one-time purchase over on the ESOT Public Store. There'll be a link in the description where you can buy a t-shirt or a mug or all sorts of different things with our lovely logo on it. And that helps out because we get a bit of a kickback from that. So it would be really helpful if they did what, Adam? Buy our merch! Buy our merch! Yeah, I have a whole VHS tape of him doing that. He's just doing it on a loop. (laughs) In perpetuity. Keeping the critic alive, baby. <laughs> yes, yes. And uh, for more of our own individual antics, you can find uh, me on Twitter, Instagram, and Letterboxd as at NotTheWho'sTommy. And I also do some writing at both uh, MarianiThomas.wordpress.com and Film-Cred.com. And you can find me on the old Instagram or Twitter at Atom or Adam, that's A-T-O-M underscore O-R underscore A-D-A-M. And you can find me on Letterboxd at Schwanson. That's S-C-H-W-A-N-D-T-S-O-N. And for anybody who's wondering what that means, uh, maybe you should listen to Friend of the Show's podcast that Thomas and I both have guest starred on recently. That's Rafe Telsch's Have Not Seen This Podcast, where Thomas is on it talking about Green Room, uh, which I believe was released this week. And next week, I'm on it talking about the Night of the Living Dead 1990 remake. Yes. Uh, as of this recording, the Green Room one has been released, and shortly after this comes out, the Night of the Living Dead one will come out. I'm very curious to hear that. Yeah, you know, just Rafe's an old-ass man, dude. You know, he had a lot of, a lot of like, crazy opinions and stuff. I just told him, like, you know, take some calcium, go to bed. 
<laughs> and for uh, more of our antics, uh, please subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, and other podcasting platforms. If you're listening on ESO, why not listen to all the other great shows on there? And you can also dig into our archives for a bunch of episodes we did even before we joined ESO on our Podbean main feed. And nothing else if you can't buy the merch or you can't support us on the Patreon. The completely free way to help us out is to rate, review, or simply share the show around because that gets us more visibility. Hey, man, I notice a lot of people are starting to share it a little bit more, which is nice because I got tired of fucking yelling at people, but I'm going to do it anyways. Look, man, if you're listening to this right now, just share the fucking show just one time, just one time, because there might be some fucking Yahoo friend of yours who doesn't know what the hell we do here. And we like the Yahoos. We want the Yahoos to be listening too. we want everyone to listen, be it a Yahoo or a scuttlebutt or a fuck freak, or whatever you might identify as, just share the show. It's super easy. Yes, the Yahoos, the Googles, the Bings, even the Bings. We want you to listen, please. Yeah, share. Dude, ask Jeeves. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> he isn't doing anything. He needs to listen to something. Yeah, he's not doing shit. Right. <laughs> Ugh, yes. Now, Adam, before we get out of here, we have to do our picking for next week. As we do at the end of every episode, uh, Adam and I each have uh, two movies uh one has two good movies one of us is too bad we switch up on the quality for that and we pick randomly uh number between one and ten to assign to both of those choices each of us have and when we have either each other or a guest like nicole uh they pick number between one and ten whatever that gets us closest to ends up being our good and our bad feature for next week's episode and keep in mind we do have this thing called the godfather rule in effect where from now until may of uh, next year, Adam and I each have a single veto in our pocket to uh, choose uh, the potential alternative choice of either good or bad. So if Adam hears, uh, say, my good choice and he feels like, you know what, I don't want to actually cover that, he'll say, actually, Thomas, I'll take the cannoli, which means we don't cover that choice and we have to go with whatever other choice I had on the other side of the coin. It's the same thing for me with his bad choice potentially here. It's a single time we can use that. We still have both of our vetoes in effect, so I'd be very curious if we maybe cover it. Next time, you know, we like covering a director for horror, and you patrons end up choosing between we had either the option of Wes Craven or the ultimate winner, which is David Lynch, which was very curious. I did not expect Lynch to win. But I'm very fascinated because I think there's a lot to talk about with these very weird, very unique movies. To say the fucking least. Yeah. Like, yeah, I definitely thought Craven might take it, but I'm not surprised, dude. You know, our polling usually goes to the less obvious one, it seems. That's true. That's true. Yes. And you have uh, the two bad choices. For Lynch, I have the two good ones. So, uh, Nicole, please, for my two good choices, pick a number between one and ten. Three. Okay. At number four, I have a movie that recently celebrated its 20th anniversary, and I think in a filmography full of masterpieces, it might be my favorite of his. I have 2001's Mulholland Drive. Yeah, I remember really liking this movie. I haven't seen it in, oh, fuck, man, probably a good 10 years at least. Uh, but I'm excited to revisit that one. So I will not be taking the cannoli. Well, on the alternative side of things, over at number eight, I had another one that I think is very underrated. It was very maligned at the time uh, because it was based on a show that was very popular and continued it in ways that people weren't fans of. But I think it's great. I have Twin Peaks Firewalk with me. I love yeah. that movie. Yeah. <laughs> good. That's, a, that's a good one. Yes. Now, for his two bad choices, Nicole, please pick a number between one and ten. Nine. All right, at number 10, I have a movie that is an 
adaptation of potentially my all-time favorite story, saga, whatever you want to call it in a literary form. I, I'm also, I, the fucking the 22nd can't come fast enough. For the new version, I have David Lynch's Dune. Oh, of course. I mean, look, I, wow. I can't I can't take the cannoli just on, you know, SEO alone <laughs> for people to, yeah. to listen just in time for the new movie to come out, you know. And plus, there's a lot to talk about with Dune. Because especially in contrast to you, I am a Dune novice, and I believe this is the only like exposure you've ever had to it. It's a very confusing introduction, <laughs> to say the least. To that, yeah. uh, so you know, I'm not going to take the cannoli on that, Adam. But what was your alternate choice? My alternate choice is a movie I've only seen once, and I remember being incredibly confused by it. Uh, so therefore, not really liking it because I just didn't understand anything that happened. But it did have a badass soundtrack that i played the fucking cd to death uh i have lost highway oh uh, same dude same i watched the movie i don't even really remember much about it but i was obsessed with that soundtrack oh I, i'm like i because i remember going who the fuck is romstein this is badass <laughs> yes <laughs> true true yeah I, I, Lost Highway is one of those where I like that movie but it's definitely in the lower echelon of Lynch but I would like to revisit all of his movies are worth revisiting to some degree even A Dune which he famously loathes entirely so we'll be talking all about Dune and Mulholland Drive next time but until then everybody uh, watch your VHS's for any kind of cursed tapes they're probably more interesting than Beyond the Gates to watch though yeah. unless it's uh, Death House or Littlest Reich that's true has been a broadcast of the ESO Network. Be part of the crew and help support our shows by donating to our ESO Patreon or by shopping for the Tee Public Store, which can all be found at www.esonetwork.com. The ESO Network, your station for all things geek.